This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Welcome to another edition of the Money and Markets podcast. It's just the Dan and Danny show today as we've let Tom and Laith have a big lie down after the stress of commenting on the budget. So this week's show, we're going to look at why global stock markets are looking a bit grumpy. We'll chat about potential changes to UK market listing rules and why Deliveroo shares will soon be on the menu for investors. And our special guest interview this week is going to be Andy Bell, Chief Executive of the investment platform AJ Bell. We're also going to look at the big rally in the oil price and whether it can continue. We'll also explain why the ethics debate is hanging over Boohoo again. First up, though, Dan, uh, just tell us what's going on in the markets and why everyone is focused in the direction of bond yields. I know, bond yields is not the most exciting thing to start the podcast with. but, but, you know, but you know, <laughs> It is if you've is... got them, you know. <laughs> but but bear with us because it, it, you know, they're very important to what's going on at the moment. So if you've got money invested in the markets, either in equities, which is another word for stocks and shares, or in bonds, um, there's some quite wild movements so far this year. So uh, we're seeing a really big rise in bond yields. So UK 10-year government bond yields, also known as gilts, have gone up fourfold this year. And UK treasuries have gone up uh, from about 0.9% at the start of the year to now around about 1.5%. So these are really big jumps in, in the scale of things, particularly over a short time period. And what's that doing? is it, it's, it's causing panic on the markets. And you're seeing... Um, you know, various uh, markets in the UK and the US and other parts of the world um, having some very bad days, uh, particularly with if, if you're invested in property companies or utility stocks or, or, or even technology ones. So obviously tech was very popular last year, but mm. all, you know, property, utility and tech are very sensitive to rising bond yields. So bond, um, so property groups, utility uh, companies are really popular amongst income investors. They love the dividends that they pay, but the appeal of this income is diminished by improving returns on bonds. And now yields also affect the discount rate that analysts use in their forecasting, and that can hurt share valuations, especially for tech and biotech companies, uh, where investors are actually pricing in lots of future gains today. Um, so just to give you an example, the tech-heavy Nasdaq index in America is down nearly 8% since the middle of February. And there's a very popular investment trust called Scottish Mortgage. And within that, it invests in lots of tech businesses. So um, you can actually buy shares in Scottish Mortgage now for nearly 9% um, discount to the value of its underlying assets. So um, some people might think that's an opportunity, but it just goes to show that tech has suddenly, uh, after being a winning trade in 2020, has become you know, very much gone off the boil in 2021. And of course, inflation plays a big part in this, isn't it? Because a lot of people are eyeing what's going on in the world as everyone starts to spend again, hopefully as the vaccine rollout really picks up pace. And they're thinking, you know, inflation's got to go up and potentially that could mean an interest rate rise and that's having an impact. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, you're right saying investors are predicting faster economic growth 
And, you know, it just seems inevitable that the cost of living is going to go up. So, um, you know, the, the, the knock-on effect down the line would be uh, potential withdrawal of this generous monetary and fiscal stimulus efforts that we've seen. Um, you know, and, and sectors like tech are considered long-duration assets and they're very sensitive to movements in interest rates. So if you look back in history, so during periods of rising bond yields, the market tends to favour things like commodity producers, the mining companies, and all the industrial ones, as well as financial services and potentially car makers as well. So um, I think you're seeing a big shift in uh, what's popular with investors at the moment. But we're often told to do nothing and just stay with what we've got. But um, it, it might be worth if you haven't looked at your portfolio for a while just to have a quick look and think, are you comfortable with what you've got now? And just to, um, I wouldn't panic about things. I would just, I'd just be aware of perhaps what's going on. Um, you know, another thing that is is actually uh, having a, a very strong influence on the uh, the market direction as well. It's also the the sudden rise in oil prices. So, Danny, yeah. This is definitely um, on the agenda. And then there's, as we record this podcast, there's a very important meeting going on. So what, what exactly is going on there? Yeah, so um, the start of the year, of course, we saw oil reach $50 a barrel. And when you consider those massive falls at the height of lockdown down to $20 a barrel, you know, we can see how oil really has bounced back. And a lot of the reason for that bounce back was a decision which was taken by the OPEC alliance to curb production, to curb the amount that was being released into the market. Now, what they're having to do today is make a decision on whether or not they are going to steadily ease those curbs, which is something that they have been doing. And and most traders are expecting that that will happen, that they will increase the number of barrels which are being sent out onto the market. Now, there was a bit of sort of up and down on the price of Brent crude um, last night into today because there was some suggestion that maybe some of those players might want to see see the curbs stay in place. But they've got a bit of a balancing act to do because, of course, if the price of oil reaches too big a price for some of the consumers in the United States to deal with, then what will happen is those shale producers will kick back in. Now, we know certainly the public companies are promising their investors that they are going to focus very much on giving them some money on dividends rather than putting the money back into production. But there are a lot of private firms that might just decide that if the price of oil creeps up too high, that they can make some money here. So OPEC really does have to walk a bit of a tightrope. And of course, whether or not Saudi decides to release the hold on its additional oil production as well is something which is going to be very much at the forefront of this meeting. And when you think about our day-to-day lives, everything from you know stuff that gets into the supermarkets on the back of a truck or you know, the tech that comes in on those great big ships, it all relies on oil. So it is very much something which impacts everybody. And as we were just discussing, it can have a massive impact on inflation. So uh, everyone's going to be bearing very close attention to the decision that comes out of that meeting. It is, of course, a virtual meeting. Um, And uh, yeah, we're certainly going to see what they decide a, a bit later on. 
Of course, the oil price has been rallying quite sharply since last October when it was it started trading about $37 a barrel at that point, and it's now $64 a barrel. Of course, that, that has a very extreme importance to, to quite a few of the really big um, shares in the UK stock market, particularly Royal Dutch Shell. Um, so over that period since October, its stock is up 66%. So this is um, quite important that investors keep an eye on what's happening with the oil price. Um, and I think this is, you know, it obviously affects lots of different industries. Um, it's not just the oil producers themselves, obviously the people who consume the oil. So yeah, yeah definitely worth um, monitoring what's going on with all these OPEC meetings. And I think it's really interesting that you're talking there about Royal Dutch Shell because they've announced today that they're changing the senior leadership of the operations in Britain. Now, this is part of a global overhaul to cut costs and part of a huge seismic shift away from oil and gas to renewables and power. So uh, we're seeing Sinead Lynch, who will become Shell's global head of low carbon fuels. Um, This is going to take effect in August. Um, Shell's rolling out a project called Reshape. And I think this is very much the way that these markets are focused now. So the OPEC countries are probably thinking about making hay, making oil while the sun shines, making money while people are still very much consuming oil. But of course, a lot of people now very much focused on renewables. And Kerawick, which uh, is the big uh, energy event which takes place in the United States, has been happening all this week and um, virtually, of course, at the moment. And normally what you'd find at this event is that there's loads and loads of talk about shale. I mentioned that earlier. Well, this time there was only one event where they were focused on shale, but an awful lot of events where they were talking about renewables and what comes next. And what comes next for the London Stock Exchange could be really interesting. We've got a review looking into the way certain companies are listed, and and that could prove really interesting, Dan. Yeah, well, we've got a situation where uh, New York and uh, Europe have been sort of grabbing all the sort of very exciting, particularly tech businesses in recent years to to float on their stock exchanges. And, and poor old London's feeling a little bit left out. So they've had this uh, review, an independent review, I should say, that um, has made some suggestions about relaxing some of the listing rules, essentially making London a bit more attractive. So um, the Treasury's come out and said it's going to, you know, it looks it's very interested in what's going on uh, and there's going to be sort of a final um, sort of consultation about what's going on then later this year we'll get some firm decisions but so really what it's looking at is is potentially allowing dual class shares that will give founders greater control of their businesses um, and there's this flexibility that might actually attract people to to float their companies on the market and we've already had the first big name literally hours since this um the review was published. So Deliveroo has said that it's actually going to list in London, which I think lots of people will be surprised at. Everyone thought it's going to list in in the US, where um, its, it's peer groups seem to be uh, focused on those markets. And actually, you probably could have got a very much higher valuation by going there. So um, the fact it's chosen London is, re- re- is really interesting. And, and I think hopefully this is going to trigger more um, interesting sort of entrepreneurial, perhaps I should say, um, sort of led businesses um, to come onto the market. It is I'm interesting. Thinking... This includes SPACs as well, isn't it? Because this is a term which I love. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is this is um, you know special acquisition uh, companies. So it, it's it's something that it, it's 
deemed to be exciting and just happening in America. But you know, we've had it on the London market for decades, but they're perhaps better known as cash shells. But they've got this sort of trendy name called SPACs now. So um, this is the idea where you, you have a business that um, floats in the stock market and its only assets are cash. Its sole purpose is to go and find something to buy. Um, now, when I used to look at cash shells on the London market, people were attracted to them by the uh, the, the essentially the management and the board what was their expertise you know have they been deal makers in the past so people would rush to buy these shares hoping that you know these guys have done it before they're going to hopefully find something amazing to buy or to fix um and you, you're back from the start what's happening in in the us is that it's just seen as a very quick way for other companies to join the market so if you have a spac already listed um essentially they can go and do a deal with someone and then they just reverse straight into it and then hey presto here we go without all lots of um you know the, the type of paperwork that normally accompanies um stock market listings is tremendous so this is another thing that potentially these new listing rules could actually see uh, a, a bit less paperwork in um, the uk but you know, it's not necessarily a good thing um there's a feeling that lots of bankers and lawyers and advisors and fund managers are the ones that actually they would love it because they would they would potentially get all these juicy fees that were <laughs> currently being seen in America and and if you go back to history in the 1700s where we had the South Sea bubble, uh, a lot of that was um you know essentially the historical versions of SPACs then and then we had um, the bubble burst and it was all you know horrible situation the great you know, great financial crisis that uh, ensued so um, yeah it's not necessarily a good thing but a bit more flexibility might not be such a such a you know such a bad thing in certain investors eyes so interesting times ahead but i tell you what um it's it's not particularly exciting times for one company which uh, people might have as part of their portfolio at the moment boohoo i, I don't know do you uh, have any boohoo packages that come through your door dan no i i, I do have two daughters but they they're not quite of the age to uh to be able to sort of keep hitting the, the buy button behind my back and I'm um, waiting for the postie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got teenage daughters, so we get an awful lot of these packages coming through the door and it is growing massive amounts. Sales rocketed by 40% last year. And of course, it's been buying up all sorts of brands, uh, notably Debenhams. Um, and it is very much trying to capture a new customer because of course that 16 to 25 year old customer that really it focuses on there, there are concerns about the amount of money that they might have disposable income when things start to unravel a lot of that age group have lost their jobs obviously as part of this pandemic and when you look at retail it is in a bit of a tricky situation but boohoo has been doing well it's been doing particularly well in the united states and that is going to be one market which they really need in order to grow. But I don't know if you remember, Dan, last year, there were an awful lot of headlines about uh, Boohoo suppliers in Leicester, allegations that they weren't being paid the minimum wage, uh, discussions about the the, the um, workplace, because of course, uh, in COVID times, there was big concern about working conditions. And there was an investigation which was launched. Um, and uh, Boohoo was found not to be directly responsible for anything, but has put in place a big long list of things to do to make sure that its suppliers really are up to standard. Now, what happened a couple of days ago is that there was speculation in the media 
that uh, it might not be able to um, send goods to the United States anymore because of concerns uh, about the um, allegations over the use of what's called forced labour. Now, the group was very quick to put out a statement to the stock exchange saying it hadn't received any correspondence from nor was it aware of any investigations by the US Customs and Border Protection and also went on to say, look, you know, we are making sure that all of our products meet the required standards. But the fact that this has happened, that these allegations have followed off the back of last year is going to really hit Boohoo quite hard. And we did see share price fall more than 7% in early trade that day, and it hasn't recovered. And investors are going to really now keep a very close eye, I think, on on how quickly Boohoo can really put this issue to bed once and for all. Because, you know, shoppers now, they've got so many places to go, so many, uh, particularly online retailers to buy from, that they want to buy into a lifestyle choice. And and when you're talking about, uh, you know, clothing, uh, social responsibility, I think, very much part of that. Oh, definitely. I think investors have been voting with their feet. You know, last July when we had um, the loads of negative coverage from the media and then Boohoo launching that review of its supply chain, the share price halved. So, I mean, the fact that it's falling again since we've had this sort of US-linked news just goes to show that, you know, investors are taking environmental, social governance factors so much more seriously than before. And, you know, do they want to be associated with a company that continues to be almost dragged over the coals about, um, you know, its, its working practices? Yes, I, I think it's it's positive that Boohoo says it's making changes, you know, and that should be applauded. But, um, you know, on the flip side, you know, it should have shouldn't have been, um, you know, associated with um, poor quality businesses in the supply chain in the first place. So, uh, I don't know. It, you could you could also make the argument that the sort of the, the Greta Thunberg generation don't want to buy from companies doing bad things. So, um, you know, whose reputation, just as you one minute you think it's going to get repaired and rebuilt, takes another knock. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a you know, difficult time for the business and difficult time if you are a shareholder. Um, Of course, for those consumers, particularly that they're trying to attract at the moment, because they've invested in Debenham. So they are looking to expand their consumer um, blueprint, if you like. And all of this negative publicity does play into people's decision making, particularly, you know, when you sat at home and you're flicking through your your, um, tablet and making decisions on where you're going to spend your money. So... The other thing I think that is very interesting is there's been a lot of comment that, you know, perhaps they've been hoist by their own petard a little bit because they are taking steps in order to address this. So there are some people that have suggested that if, uh, you know, border control at the United States wanted to focus on one company, that Boohoo probably isn't it. Thanks, Danny. So now it's time for our special guest, who's Andy Bell, Chief Executive of AJ Bell. So, Andy, great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Dan. So AJ Bell is one of several investment platforms to have attracted a younger customer base over the past 12 months or so. Do you think that the majority have been attracted by the day trading craze that's been all over the news? I, th- I think simple answer is, is no, it's, it's maybe had an effect. I think we have definitely seen younger customers uh, enter the platform market, certainly, um, certainly for AJ Bell. Uh, 12 months ago, the average age of our customer was 45 um, our, our recent year end, uh, it was it was 43. Uh, we've seen an average age of new customers coming in around 39. 
So, you know, these aren't kids coming in. Uh, so they're still bringing in, you know, decent, decent chunks of money. Uh, you know, we've seen the, you know, the meme stock frenzy. That, that really was, you know, almost a 2021 uh, craze. Uh, you know, those guys aren't, aren't our, our, our target market. Uh, we have seen some activity for, for customers trading the likes of GameStop and AMC, but I would say that that's very much been at the edges of, of what our customers have been doing rather than at the heart of it. Yeah. Do, I mean, do you hope that they'll progress from trying to make a quick buck to actually building a diversified investment portfolio and really just to be in it for the long term? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you know, social media driving the share price makes me very uncomfortable. Um I think we'll see the regulators look at this and, and, and form an opinion, but you know, I, it, it's, it's something that certainly needs addressing. Um, yeah, the whole uh, GameStop saga was pitched to the public versus the hedge funds, but really it was just a toxic game of pass the parcel. Uh, and I think um, there will be many unsuspecting retail investors left holding the shares uh, at the end of this game uh, as the shares settle down to the real value. I think on a more positive side, I think what we are seeing is youngsters engaging with investments and, you know, maybe a short, sharp loss uh, will, will end up being a positive lesson for um, for the future. There'll be some who've, who've made money. I think it's just important they don't start thinking that, that they can beat the market because over the over the long term, uh, they won't. You know, at the end of the day, I would say for any investor, uh, particularly a novice investor coming in, diversification is is, is my is my number one rule. And you know, day trading uh, stocks on on some um, you know, pushed by social media, uh, I personally is a is a recipe for disaster, certainly in the long term. Yeah. What 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 do you think of the free investment apps that are sprouting up at the moment? Yeah, it's really really interesting. I, I think I think yeah, I'll probably start. You know, I've got my mother's words ringing in my ears. Uh, yeah, if it looks too good to be true, it it, it probably is. So I think that word free should be a warning sign to anyone. There is no free lunch. Uh, and I think actually anybody looking to, to deposit the, you know, often the life savings or, or their investments with a platform, they want that platform to be making money, uh, to be sound financially. Uh, and, and then if you look at the way platforms can earn money, there's, there's a number of different ways. And maybe I'll just, I'll just go through them to explain the point. So the first one and a, and a common one in the UK is a custody or a, or a count charge, really the, the charge for holding your assets on, on, on the platform. Then there's dealing commission uh, and, there's, and there's margin on cash is, is another way. So we'll, we'll pull the cash together, uh, you know, treasury manager over a range of banks. And then, you know, in times of interest earning periods, pay a, pay a rate out and there's, there's a margin on, on that. that. That margin is, is far smaller than it's ever been uh, for obvious reasons. And then more controversially, you've got uh, stock lending and what's called in the US as payment for order flow. So stock lending is where the platform may just lend the customer stock out to drive some extra revenue. I, I personally um, feel very uncomfortable with that. You know, I think our customers will be forgiven if we did that for, for suggesting that, well, okay, we're lending that stock um, to maybe hedge funds, short sellers, people who are, who are trying to drive the price of our customers' investments down, which seems to be a, um, a slight contradiction. So uh, I, I don't see that. I don't see that taking off. There's any regulatory barriers to that. You could have situations where where customers actually drive that stock landing. But again, it, it's a fairly sophisticated move, and you're probably not one which which the bulk of our customers will be interested in. Second one, you know, I've been talking about this for a while now. It, 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 it's been mentioned quite a lot in in the context of Robinhood. 
Uh, over in the US, which is payment for order flow. So really, instead of charging you a dealing commission, there's, there's, a, there's an arrangement with the market maker for, for, buying, for buying the shares or selling the shares through them. Yeah, we've just seen, uh, Esmond, this morning, actually, the European uh, regulatory agency that, that actually looks after uh, this area. Um, and and, and they've, they've announced a review in, in, into free, free commission apps. I think the concern is that there's no transparency of, of pricing. Actually, these customers are, are ending up getting a worse price. Uh, actually, payment for order flow is not allowed in the UK. Uh, best execution rules uh, prevent that. So, you know, it's almost those hidden earnings that will facilitate uh, a true free commission dealing model. And personally, I think the way the UK has been going in for many a long year now, it, it's more about transparency uh, and customers understanding what, what their charges are than, than trying to present something as free. Um, and then finding actually there's, there's some hidden costs in, in, in the margin. Um, so, you know, personally, I think, you know, if, if people like the idea of no dealing commission and there is actually a, a cost for us every time we deal, uh, but if customers like that, then I think you'll find a simplified price all wrapped up into a custody charge or a, or, or a platform charge, or there are some firms out there who'd rather just charge uh, a transactional charge on, on dealing commission uh, and you know, earn the money that way and, and not charge a platform charge, but really it's each to his own. Okay, so do you see a big opportunity in educating this new customer base over the merits of investing over trading? Or do you think it's not really the role of an investment platform to be telling someone they need to do one thing and not the other? Yeah, I think, I think we all have responsibility in the industry to help educate our customers. I don't think there's any prizes for anyone who, who, who you know, lets the customers come in and wreak havoc and you know, trade the money away and then, and then they're gone. So I think it's in all our interest to make sure our customers behave responsibly and, and for their own for their own best interests. Uh, but ultimately, we are an open architecture investment platform. I think that our customers wouldn't thank us for knocking on the door um, and asking them why they're uh, either taking a, a particular position on a on a particular investment. We do we do monitor accounts for evidence of unusual behaviour. Uh, we do uh, on occasion intervene to make sure the customers fully aware uh, of their implications. But you know, they they will be few and far far between. I would I would suggest. Okay, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be interested to know what actually goes on behind the scenes when someone submits an order to buy a share. Is that kind of easy to summarise? I'll, I'll certainly have a go. I think you know, it is quite interesting, but particularly for those those customers who are, who are new to the market, there are there are nuances depending on what type of, of asset you're trying to buy. You might find the, the process slightly different. So maybe start with, with UK shares. Um, you the the UK market's open from eight in the morning till half past four uh, in the in the afternoon, obviously excluding weekends and, and bank holidays. And buy shares, it's your typical company shares you'd all be familiar with, but also includes uh, exchange traded funds, ETFs, and also investment trusts as well. And for anyone who's gone through the process, most will be familiar with this. Uh, you'll go in, you'll search your stock you want to buy or sell. Uh, you'll place an online quote, and you get 15 seconds to accept that. Uh, What's happening behind the scenes there is that we'll be contacting between 20 and 25 market makers uh, to get the, the price. We'll then do a comparison across those market makers to, to get the best price. Uh, and then in normal times, the, um, the deal will be, you'll, you'll get the choice to accept or, or, or decline. And if you accept, the, the deal is done there and then, uh, and then it, it will flow through into your, into your account. There are, there are some occasions when you can't uh, get a, a quote on the stock for, for actually genuine reasons that that could be for the market size. So typically online orders, 
there will be a limit on, on the size of the market. And again, people who try to place a, a large order may get presented uh, with a message saying that um, here online quotes not available. Uh, you need to get the telephone through and we'll, we'll place the order direct with the market. Or you can place a limit order where our systems will, will go and pick up uh, the, the order in, in due course based on, on, on the price. Um, market volatility can be a time when um, normally you don't find it's very unusual for the market makers to withdraw quotes. But, um, you know, on Brexit Day, for example, when it was announced, when we realised that uh, we're voting to leave the EU, uh, on, on those days, the market makers were withdrawing um, quotes on a number of on a number of stocks. 9th of November for the vaccine, that was more what the market makers typically did, which is shrink the size in which they would offer an automated uh, online quote. Uh, and then you get thinking this is, there's actually technical reasons, um, often driven by market volatility, something called backwardation, which you know, many people won't have heard of. That's where the offer price and the bid price get the wrong way around. That can often lead to what's called an intraday auction. So actually, uh, the market realizes there's, there's some instability here. What happens is that for a period of you know, just over five minutes, uh, you'll find that you can't get an online quote uh, and, and the market will, will actually have an auction and, and, and try and find a but yeah, we'll go through a price discovery mechanism. Uh, and so that, yeah, that will be a reason why, why people wouldn't be able to deal online. Um, and yeah, what are the, you know, on, on talking about auctions quite interestingly. So, you know, we, we, we've seen some people will, will, will sit there and try and catch the market. There'll, there'll be some news flow in the morning and they'll think if they, if they get that, that quota, uh, you know, and at five seconds past eight o'clock, they'll be able to get ahead of the market. That, that, as you, as you would hope and expect, that that isn't possible. Um, so what happens in the in the in the few minutes before market opening? You have this auction process again, uh, price discovery. So that is the idea. The idea there is, as the market opens, it opens into an orderly market with a uh, you know, with a price that, that reflects the the news flow that's out there. So there's lots that goes on behind that little screen that, that counts down from 15 seconds. Um, but you know, very important that people understand it. US shares uh, broadly similar, all be at the markets from from half two UK time uh, to nine o'clock UK time. You've got to allow for the FX for the foreign exchange side on that, and then funds are different again. So funds you don't have uh, real time dealing there. So each fund uh, will have its own valuation or cutoff point. Uh, you're off midday, and typically what happens if you deal at ten o'clock in the morning. Uh, you'll you'll put your order in, and then you will then deal at that uh, midday price. So you're not dealing against a, a past price for obvious reasons. You're dealing into a forward price, uh, which is set by the fund group at, you know, around midday, and then either later that afternoon or overnight, uh, the, the the trade will settle. So you know, well worth those those customers who who aren't used to that spending a bit of time understanding the mechanics. To say there are slight nuances depending on the assets, and you know, very important that, that people understand certainly the basics of that. Yeah. So I get the impression that there's new types of customers signing up with AJ Bell and other investment platforms over the last year. What's your sort of thoughts on this trend? Yeah, I think it's you know, definitely a trend. I think we categorize our customers uh, into, into four. Um, we you know, either security seekers, these are people who really like to invest in cash, who typically have a cash ISA, uh, not looking to invest in, in risk-based uh, investments. And then the three main categories are what we call nervous newcomers, hungry for help uh, and confident control. And, and hopefully all three are broadly self-explanatory there. You might argue that these 
you know, young gun day traders are, are a slightly different group again, but yeah, I said before, not, not really our market. Uh, our, our cash savings hub that we launched last year was our first foray into uh, servicing the security seekers. So it's a, it's a cash only product. Uh, but actually at a time, interestingly, when there's lots of money in cash ices languishing at 0% and uh, yeah, those people actually getting half or 1% isn't really that attractive. So what we're seeing is we're seeing money flowing from security seekers who are very tentatively taking a, uh, a step into the world of risk-based investment for, for very conservative, cautious solutions. Uh, but you see lots of, of new customers coming in uh, you know, with that, with that sort of type of background and type of mindset. But if I look over the last five years, we've had a really big increase in the nervous newcomer and hungry for help group on the confident control. That's, that's quite a mature market. Lots of these these people, they're they looking for our, our investment solutions that you help. You know, they don't want advice. They've come down the, the, the DIY route. They could have gone for advice and you know, they can afford it. And you know, it, it, it's always something well worth considering. But you know, for some people, if you're trying to invest 20 or 30,000 pounds, it's quite difficult to find an advice solution out there. Uh, and they were typically looking at one of our in-house solutions, which, which range from we've got our own range of low-cost multi-asset funds, um, and really that multi-asset plays that diversification point, it's asset spread across markets, across across geographies. Um, we've got six growth funds, two income funds, and, and for those with, with ESG um, um, yeah, persuasions, we've got, we've got a, a responsible growth fund as well. We've got four ready-made portfolios, which is really a, almost a starter, a you know, ready-made meal almost of, of, of a, a small number of um, uh, of funds that really sit together. If an advisor looked at that, they'd say, okay, that, that seems like a sensible portfolio based on your attitude to, to risk. We've got a favorite funds list, which is you sort of think, okay, I'd like to invest in the UK or, or in emerging markets. And then we'll have filtered uh, what we believe to be uh, the best of breed in, in those categories. And, and we do a similar for investment trust, slightly different uh, issues arising for investment trust, but we do that as well. So for the novice investor or the, the people who want to learn or, um, uh, you know, actually hungry to learn, then, uh, you know, there's lots of information on the website you can go to and, and help put together a portfolio that so would, would stand scrutiny, um, uh, you know, from, from the eye of any uh, professional advisor or, or, or investment manager. Okay, so finally, we just can't end the interview without asking you what effect COVID has had on the business. Yeah, you know, yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago now, the end of March last year. But I, I think in, in, in that first phase, it was all about keeping our staff safe and keeping our customers service. So, you know, we, we need to get the staff working from home in a very short period of time. Uh, and we, you know, I'm very pleased that we managed uh, throughout that period. We didn't start turning off. Uh, services to, to be able to do that. Uh, we're fortunate in that an awful lot of our businesses is online and, and automated. Um, so that, that you know, we got through that, you know, that first period and then, you know, we, we were starting to learn to, to live what has become a, a new normal. I think lots of our staff are desperate to get back to the office now, but I think we also recognise there, there, you know, there is a new normal out there. In looking through our customers and, you know, the market, you know, it, it, it is interesting and um, if clearly anyone who's been affected by, by COVID, you know, on a personal level, I think, I think that, yeah, that, that's, that's one thing. And, you know, it, it's awful for those, for those people that have, uh, I think then you, you, probably the working community is, is polarized into, into two groups. There's, there's those who, who haven't been able to work and haven't had any support and those people who've been able to work or have been furloughed and, and, and being at home. 
And for those people where, and you know one be able to go out on holiday and spend money, you don't need, you don't need to tell you that. And what's happened then, and people look in their own bank account, they're not to spend the money on, people have uh, you know, accumulated cash in, in the bank account. I think Bank of, England, bank of England put some stats out the other day that I think it was 153 billion in, in cash uh, saved up in 2020 compared to 55 billion in, in the year before. That gives you the extent of the money that's not been recirculating back into the economy. Uh, and a lot of that money will end up in the investment industry. And why is that? Well, I think I think what people have realised as part of COVID is that whilst the government have, you know, have done some really good stuff in supporting people through this period, I don't think it doesn't take a genius to realise that, you know, that support is going to be taken away uh, sometime soon and people will need to be able to provide for themselves in, in the future, in, in the retirement. Anyway, to do that is to get investing with through a pension and ISA or, or just a, a you know, funds and share account. Um, so, you know, I, I think what we have seen is, you know, a combination of, you know, people realising the need to um, do something on their investments. They have had the time to do it. They've had cash building up over the over the period. Uh, and that has led to you know, some of the you know, large new you know, large numbers of new customers that have come into our business, into, into the industry. And I think we'll see that we'll see that carry on for some for some time uh, to come. I think I think there will be some bits which will slow down once we get back to work and get back to going and holding. But it, it does feel as though the genie's out the bottle a little bit, you know, just, just going back to the, the GameStop uh, stories we started at. People are engaging more in investments now than they've ever done before. It is a topic that the families talk about it. If we're allowed to have dinner parties, it will be a topic on the agenda where it's not been for, for a good long while. So, you know, I, I fully expect this, this, this move for people to, to shift the money. And I think, I think what happens, I think you know, the good thing about being an investment platform is when people do come to review the pensions, the one place it goes to is an investment platform. Might not always be AJ Bell, but it will inevitably end up on an investment platform somewhere in the UK. And, uh, for that, you know, we've, um, you know, we've seen yeah, that that really is the driver of, of the new customers uh, and, and and the new assets that have come into both our business and, and the wider industry. Well, brilliant. Andy, thank you ever so much for joining us. Really great to have you on the podcast again. Cheers, Dan. Thanks. So that's all from us this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Next week, we've got Artemis Fund Manager Rosanna Bacheri to dive further into the rising bond yield issue. And we've also got William DeGale from the Blue Box Technology Fund to discuss whether all the easy money has been made with tech stocks. Until then, you can email any comments or questions to us via podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Thanks. See you later. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.